I imagine if I were to walk around the room today or set up a coffee meeting with you and say, let's sit down and talk, or if I got online and, hey, let's get on and chat back and forth, I imagine if I got, on, got a one-on-one conversation with you today and I said, what would you like to change in your life? Is there some adjustment you would like to make in your life? I imagine all of us in this room could come up with something we say, I want to change in my life. For some, it may be, I'd like to work on being a more positive person. I lean towards being negative, and I don't want to be negative anymore. I want to be more positive. For some in this room, you may be, I'd like to get better control of my tongue. Sometimes I know I can be really sharp with the tongue, and I can cut people off the knees, or there's language that comes out that I know I don't like. Uh, for others in this room, it may be, I just want to change some physical appearance things. I, I'm ready for a new hairdo, or it's, I'm ready for, for losing some weight. You know, the truth is, if we're going to make any kind of changes in our life, we have to do something to make the change happen. It's not just going to happen. I'm not going to all of a sudden wake up one day and go from having a sharp tongue to now my tongue's under control. I'm not going to wake up one day and, well, I've been a negative person most of my life, and now I'm a positive person. I'm not going to wake up one day and, boom, Brian's lost 10 more pounds. That's not going to happen. We have to do something in order to make change happen. And if you take that a little bit further, and you really consider and think about your walk in Christ, and you ask the question, am I totally happy with where I am in Christ? Am I happy with my behaviors and my actions and my disciplines and the light of Christ that I shine? Am I really happy? I would say that many of us say, you know, there's some struggle in there with my relationship with Jesus. There's some things that maybe I'd like to see change or I'd like to adjust. See, when we give our lives to Christ, we hear about this new life that I'm supposed to have. We hear about this transformed life. We hear life is going to be, be new and great. And sometimes we sit back waiting for it to happen only to find that it's not happening. Wait, I've been a Christian for five years or ten years, and I don't know that there's this great change in me. Why is that? See, if we're going to have a life in Christ that he wants us to have, then we have to be willing to embrace change. We have to be willing to work for change. Now, some in this room right now, you're like, oh, I hate the word change. I don't want to talk about change. I never want to discuss change. I'm ready to run. But this is exactly what the Apostle Paul addressed as we walk through this letter of Colossians. Today, as we dive into Colossians chapter 3, we're going to discover that there are at least three areas where Paul says, listen, if we're going to embrace the healthy relationship that Jesus has for us, then I must be willing to embrace some changes. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Very quickly, the first four verses is just kind of a reminder of what Paul has been talking about as we've studied the first two chapters. Look at Colossians 3 beginning in in verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, in the first four verses, Paul is reminding us about the new life we have in Christ. 
That's what he's reminding the church in Colossae. And he went through chapter 1 and chapter 2, laying out who we are in Christ, what our life is like in Christ, what Christ has done for us, how Christ is supposed to be supreme, first place in our life. And he comes back now in chapter 3, and he's like, now listen, don't forget about this, who you are in Christ. He's supposed to be first. And he's already told us all this in the first two chapters. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time in that. Because in verse 5, he starts to turn a corner. And he's like, let's put some action to this. Let, let's talk about what this walk, this new life in Christ is supposed to be. So look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on a new self which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of the Creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is, it is all and is in all. I get concerned when I read that passage because there's, there's a thinking in our culture that Christianity is about a list of rules of do's and don'ts. And when we read this list, we see kind of this list of do's and don'ts and why people think that way. But what Paul is really contrasting is there is a life that is before Christ and there's a life that is with Christ, which is a new life. And he says, this life needs to be gone and this is the way to live. And there's reasoning behind that. So let me discuss these change ideas. Paul says a new life must have a change of direction. We're given these two lists to rid ourselves of. So when you look at these lists, you may think, well, I'm kind of immune for those. Or I don't have those issues in my life. But I think as we examine the, the, the root of these things that Paul's talking about, we'll start to see that, you know what, they apply to me even today, just as they applied to the church in Colossae back when Paul sent this letter. Paul says we must allow ourselves to be dead to the old life. If something is dead, it no longer what? It no longer functions. If something is dead, there's no more action with that old life. We are literally to put these things to death. To consider dead means to hold these items in check, to restrain them. In other words, left unrestrained, that they lead us in the wrong direction. If you casually look at these, uh, these three, we are told, that, told we died to Christ. We're told to consider our members of our body as 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 earthly body as dead as well. So Paul's like, there's two deaths. There's a death in Jesus, and you rise in a new life, but then the members of your earthly body, they're dead, and you're not supposed to participate in these type of actions anymore. We've died with Christ. The challenge is we still live in this fallen world. We still live in this world where death is still running around, where the old way of life is still running around, where the old way of temptation is still running around. Remember, someone who is dead is no longer aroused by the world. Paul's like, these things used to entertain you, and they used to be something you'd want to participate in, but they should be dead, so they shouldn't even draw your interest. This verse reminds us that we have a part to play in our walk with God. We have a part to play in pursuing holiness. It doesn't just 
It doesn't just happen at a snap of a finger. Yes, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us to help us, but we have to then practice obedience. We need a change of direction. I think what Paul's trying to say is that we must change our direction from self-gratification to pleasing God. Who's first in our lives? Who's supreme in our life? Who do I want to honor? Do I want to honor self? Or do I want to honor God? Verse 5 gives us a list of things that we're considered, that we're to consider ourselves dead to. Immorality deals predominantly with sexual sin. The word is the same word we get pornography from. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes and says, It is God's will that you keep away from sexual sin as a mark of your devotion to Him. Now, truth be told, when they wrote this letter, when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae, and what we deal with today is sexual temptation is rampant, and many times it's an area where Christians fail or fall. See, this notorious list includes impurity, it includes passion, it includes evil desires and greed. All these things deal with what? Getting what I want. And that's what Paul starts to address. This list is actually in reverse order. See, the root cause of all these issues is greed. It's what do I want. Greed is a desire for, uh, for, for to have things that someone else has. It includes the, the breaking of laws and the justice in order to detain them for oneself. It's the relentless urge to get more. And really, that's the root of all the rest. We must move in a direction that is, I want to please God instead of pleasing myself. See, Paul lists right there the whole sexual immorality. God's not against sex, but God says sex outside of marriage is wrong, and there's no exceptions to that. Paul's like, what are you greeting after? As long as we live in a fallen world, we're going to struggle with these issues. The last part of verse 5 tells us that these things amount to idolatry. Now, most of us would say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not an idolater. I don't worship other gods. But when we reject the true God of the Bible, then we make a God of our own imagination. Then we make our desires, our appetites, our lust, our God in pursuit of them. And that's what Paul's driving home. He's like, what are you chasing after? What is your God? Whatever we put ahead of God becomes our God. Remember chapter 1 and chapter 2? Christ is supreme. He's overall. He's first place. Now, I would imagine if I came to your home and visit your home, you probably wouldn't take me and say, oh, Brian, look at my little statue that I bow down and I worship every day. I surely would hope not. That's not what Paul's really dealing with. But what happens is, is, is something that's even worse, I think. What happens is, is left to being unchecked, it, it, we start to then worship these things. We start to worship the things that we want. The old way of life leads to destruction, but then we, we start to, to worship after my own idolatries. We start to worship after stuff that we then rise to a level that we say, that's become our God. We would never say it that way, but that's the way we live and the way we behave. See, the old way of life led to destruction, separated us from God, and it opened us up to the subject of wrath of God. The old way of life had nothing good for us. It tossed us around, so to speak, and tossed us aside. And Paul's like, you've left it. Leave it go. Don't go back to it. It's the reason that we put sin to death in our lives. See, our new direction is to walk with God. And that's what Paul's drawing out. You've chosen a new direction to walk with God. When we sin, it's because we are doing what our flesh wants 
instead of what God wants. Paul's trying to lift that up. Church, what, what are you chasing after? And when you're going after things that are not of God, then you're, you're satisfying self instead of satisfying God. When, when we're immersed into Christ, when we've been fully saved, we've given our life to Christ, then, then our life, our position is Christ. As, I, as I'm saved, I'm a new life in Christ. And Paul's saying, don't chase after the old world anymore. That's when you start to experience a transformed life. Paul also challenges us to have a change of attitude. In a new life, we should have a change of attitude. Now, I would venture to say most of us in here would never think, oh, I have a bad attitude, or I have an attitude that needs to change. That's always for other people. My wife needs to change her attitude. My husband needs to change his attitude. My kids need to change their attitude. My coworkers need to change their attitude. But Paul's looking at all of us, and Paul's looking at those who are reading this Colossae letter and saying there needs to be an attitude change, an attitude adjustment. Verses 8 and 9, are, that's what it's dealing with. Because we laid aside the old life, we have to have a, a new attitude. We're told that we need to put off some of the old ways. To put aside means to take off, like taking off clothing. It's like take off the dirty, rusty, torn up clothing, set it aside. We disrobe the sinful behaviors and attitudes. And each of these attitudes, if left unchecked, they build upon one another. He says anger. Anger is a deep, smoldering bitterness. It's an attitude. Unchecked, it leads to wrath, which is a deep, determined anger that manifests itself in outburst of anger. Unchecked, it leads to malice, which is being bent on causing injury to another person physically or to their reputation. All these things can lead to slander, which is abusive speech. Paul's like, have you checked your attitude lately? Now, I'll be honest with you. This one hits kind of between the eyes for Brian Bolton. Because when it comes to anger, that's been the struggle that Brian has dealt with his entire life. By the power of God and working with him, I'd like to say it's gotten a whole lot better. There's still times you have to stop, take a deep breath, calm down. See, Paul's saying we've got to rid ourselves of these things. There are too many Christians who still to this day struggle with these attitudes. Ephesians 4 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. It's easy for us to focus on the evils of verse 5 and forget about the evils in verse 8. Easy for us to look at the evils of verse 5 and say, I'm not one of those people. I don't do that kind of stuff. And then read right on past verse 8 and not stop and check my own attitude. I believe the issues of attitude and verse 8 may be more difficult for us to deal with because we can always rationalize our actions away. Well, they made me mad. My kids made me mad. My boss made me mad. My wife made me mad. My husband made me mad. The police officer made me mad. They made me that way. See, bad attitude leads to bad actions. Verse 9 encourages us not to lie to one another when we harbor bad things in our heart because they come out in our actions. When we struggle with anger issues, we, we quit sweeping it under the rug and quit rationalizing our anger. There is no justification for a Christian to live a life in anger. Bad attitudes will lead to bad actions. And Paul is warning us in this. You really think God's going to bless you if you refuse to acknowledge the sin of anger which leads to malice, 
which leads to wrath, which leads to abusive speech. Many times we kind of check that off the list and say, well, I'm okay. See, our attitude toward others needs to be Christ-like. We are called and obligated to treat others in a Christ-like manner, even if they don't deserve it. Do you hear what I said? We are called and we are obligated to treat others in a Christ-like manner, even if they don't deserve it. Let me ask you this. Do you deserve to be forgiven of your sin? We don't, do we? What do we deserve? We deserve wrath. We deserve God's penalty. We deserve that. But He loved us so much, He said, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you Jesus. I'm going to give you Him dying on the cross to cover your sin, even though you deserve the penalty. That's what Paul's laying out here. Listen, someone might deserve. They might deserve your wrath because they're driving like a crazy nut. They might deserve your wrath because they didn't treat you well at their restaurant. They might deserve your wrath because they were mean to you and spoke ill will of you on Facebook or in social media world. They might deserve your wrath because they sent you an email that was cutting and you just want to rip them to pieces. But Paul says, we don't pass on to people what they deserve. We show them the grace and love of Christ. Which means we control our anger. Even when you want to knock them in the jaw. Even when you want to fire off the email, I'm going to give it to you. Every time you're mad at Gray, send an email, you type it and sit on it for 24 hours. I bet you won't send it the next day. Or you type it and you say to a friend, should I send that? And they go, I don't know. If you're asking a friend if you should send it, your answer is no. See, our attitude towards others needs to be like Christ. Why is that? Because when our attitude like towards others is like Christ, then who do they see? They see Christ. That's when hopefully we have conversations about Christ. So we have a new attitude. Thirdly, we have a new change or a purpose. See, we are to have a new purpose if we want change. We have a, cha- a change of purpose. We are called to be renewed to a true knowledge of Christ. We cannot be renewed to a true knowledge of Him if we don't know anything about Him. Many of the world's problems come from a lack of knowledge concerning God. It's from ignorance. Our ignorance of God and His Word hold us back from the transformation process. If you're stuck and you're like, I'm not transforming, I haven't been growing, I've kind of been in the same spot for years upon years, will stop and say, how much do I been studying and get, really get to know God lately? It's so easy to set ourselves on cruise control. Give my life to Christ, get excited about it in early days, and then I'm just on cruise control. Paul's like, listen, if you're going to be transformed, you can't stop learning about God. You can't stop learning about Christ. It should be one of the most exciting parts of your day and part of your week. Whenever you're like, oh, I get a chance to learn about God. I'm going to be in a Bible study today. Oh, I'm going to be uh, doing my Bible study, my, my own quiet time today. Oh, I'm going to hear this talk today about Christ. Oh, I'm so excited about it. I can't, I look forward to it. Unfortunately, many is, well, it's ho-hum. That's a lot of work. That's hard. Our life is supposed to be a life of transformation. A true knowledge of Christ then leads us to a new life. 
See, by attaining knowledge of Christ and His will, then our spiritual being is being changed into the likeness of Christ. We learn to feel, we learn to act, we learn to behave like Christ as we learn about Christ. Romans 12 says, And do not be transformed, or do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. A transformation is not an instant, boom, things have changed. It's a process. It's a process of growing. It's a process of, of sanctification. It's a process of, of being cleaned by God. Our, our new purpose is to be transformed into the image of Jesus. What is the purpose of my life? It's to be transformed in the image of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3, Paul writes, we, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from the glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. That's our calling. That's part of our purpose, to be transformed into Christ. And Paul says, listen, I'm not giving you a list of rules of do's and don'ts. I'm giving you a list of here was the old life that is useless and dead to you and is worth nothing, and here is the new life that you are called to live in. See, it's all about trusting Jesus. It's really about trusting God. Does He really have our best interest? Does His plan and His purpose, does it really work? It's about seeking Him in every area of our life. It's about letting God have you. It's about pursuing God's agenda, not pursuing our agenda. And that's what Paul is lifting up. Hey, in Christ, here's your relationship. He's supreme. Here's what that life looks like. Are you willing to submit your life to His? Let me ask you to bow your heads with me. I want to ask you to just, in the quietness of this room, or if you're on Facebook with us today, I hope you can have a quiet spot and just bow your heads and just in prayer start to ask God, God, what is the area of my life that needs to change? See, Paul's list is not an exhaustive list. You may say, well, those two lists, I don't see myself in those. But you know there was probably stuff in your life that is supposed to be dead. Stuff in your life that's not of God. Stuff in your life that's not part of God's purpose, God's plan. In, in, in prayer, God will reveal that. So I just want to ask us to pray. Father God, in this room or across social media, Lord, would you speak right now to, to these heads that are bowed, these hearts that are surrendering right now. Lord, we just want to ask you a question. What is in our life that is not of God that should be dead to us.